0: Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off Tackle
1: Empire. Tackle Empire in the first episode of the Charging Blockcast. This is your host for the time being, Andrew Kraszewski, together with the first of many correspondents, our own StewMonkey13, famed Iowa correspondent and for the time being, our Nebraska correspondent as well. He's going to be completely fair and balanced the way every organization that's ever used that slogan has been. Stu, what's the word?
0: Uh, fight, 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 I guess. Uh, so, I just, I do have a question for you. What's a... Uh, something I've always wanted to know. How does the son of famed Duke coach become a Michigan State fan?
1: <laughs> um... Believe it or not, Uncle Mike's kind of an asshole when it comes to the Christmas presents. So he <laughs> he drives away everyone around him. That's why none of his players stay. You know, I'm I'm airing the family laundry a little bit here, but no, it. I actually kind of thought, basically, you know, I started following college sports late high school into college, and I assumed that I would get more questions in the course of my lifetime from people like oh, related to the Duke coach because it actually is only a couple of letters off. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if at some point we had a common clan ancestor in common and, you know, our names got Ellis Islanded at some point, but look, I I certainly haven't gotten any Christmas cards from the guy recently. So that's how I ended up uh, as a Michigan state fan, although he paid me back for that with uh, Duke's all time record against MSU, notwithstanding the glorious triumph in last year's elite eight. So (laughs) Yeah, Uncle Mikey, as they say, no more generous in person than uh, than you would guess, knowing his public persona. So
0: Famed nice guy behind the scenes.
1: Yeah. So this, of course, is a a perennial and consistent feature. We've been running the basketball podcast here for years now, as I've been promising. (laughs) But since this is the first one of the new season, a quick explanation of what we'll do here before the season starts I and the contribute the intrepid contributors from our staff will give a brief off season review of what happened with every team last year, what we expect from them this year, quick schedule notes, projections, roster commentary. And because I don't necessarily have somebody for every team. Sue, for example, is certainly an Iowa fan, but we've also decided to mix in a couple other teams. So he gets to comment on Nebraska as again, I'm sure, as I said before, we're sure, surely going to get objective commentary there and decide to throw in Michigan as well. So that's what this episode is going to be. Those three teams. And we'll start with your own Iowa Hawkeyes. First question. And I've always wondered what for the Iowa fan, the expectation is of this program. I mean, we can, we'll zoom in a little bit from the 10,000 foot there. And my first question would be, how did you actually feel about last season?
0: Mixed bag. uh Came in kind of expecting to be bubble ish. Uh, it would be bad. Disappointed if we made the NIT. Should be a good season if they made the NCAA tournament. devil, of course, though, is in the details and context matters. Uh, they started off pretty horribly, then caught fire. Really good into early Big Ten play. Thought, hey, but then he never really believed it because they've shown that they. Uh, would swoon down the uh, stretch, and sure enough, so it began. Uh, Lots of bad feelings there towards the end of the season, and then uh, win a game in the Big Ten tournament, kind of surprising. And then uh, that giant comeback against uh, Cincinnati to win that game, and then almost come from behind win to uh, beat a uh, very beatable Tennessee with... uh, Coach, uh, who's known for his uh, flameouts in the tournament, there.
1: Yeah, and of, this, yeah, the, sw- the, the swoon ball. down the stretch thing has been kind of a weird trend for Iowa the last couple of years. I don't. Is it from your perspective? Is it a function of? A lack of depth and they just get worn out. I mean, they play a little bit of a frenetic pace, so maybe there's some exhaustion there too, but it's not the first time we've seen Iowa kind of stumble down the stretch. Although, again, you have to give them some credit and that they still had enough of a resume to withstand that.
0: Well, it's part like it's frenetic for Big Ten play. It's not exactly <laughs> so sure. That's probably top 100, but you're you talking teams against like a uh, Playing against Northwestern and uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean yeah, in the Big the top one hundred pace produce. is absolutely great, So <laughs> yes, um, but I don't know. It's and it seems to only be like the, the bad teams or the good teams that have faded down the path, uh, stretch. Some of the worst teams, like they made it to the uh, all the way to the championship game of the NIT during his like third year, and during his second year they scraped and scrapped and made it just barely into the NIT because of a good run at the end. And during Aaron White's year, they started off kind of ish and they just got into the tournament based on some like hot down the stretch. But then they've had times where they've been top 10 in the country and just fallen off a cliff. So I don't know. It seems like they, uh, I almost think it's like a conditioning thing where they don't know how to taper. But what do I know? I'm not a professional strength and conditioning coach, and I should be better at that. But exactly, they don't share the same. Uh, uh, same program with the football team, so who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not turning two-star tight end recruits into you know NBA power forwards, I guess, the way that no, you might expect.
0: They are turning power forwards into NFL recruits, uh, prospects, with Ahmad Wagner. Yeah, Ahmad Wagner
1: and somehow is. I haven't kept <laughs> up with him. I saw him in one game earlier this season, and I think he caught, like, two touchdowns. Um, I think at
0: some point he was leaving the country in, like, yards per reception or touchdowns touchdowns per reception or something
1: like that probably the latter i believe that because yeah they used they definitely used him mostly as a red zone target from i mean i I confess that i haven't watched a ton of kentucky football this year (laughs) Uh, but yeah i remember seeing his name i was like wait i know that name where do i know that name and sure enough um so speaking of names then we'll we'll take a look then at iowa's projected roster this year um now, I'll admit, I, I put this together a few weeks ago. Has, has there been any news on what is expected with Jordan Bohannon? Because that, to me, was obviously the biggest question mark remaining as we approach the eve of the season.
0: So it sounds, it's sounding like more and more that he's going to want to try and play. And the way that they're handing out 2020 scholarships seems like Veda, they think he's probably going to play and, and then shuffle off after this year. But, man, I don't know, early on, like, he was talking, like, he gave an interview where he was like, I don't know that he didn't think, he got to the point where he didn't think he would be able to walk again because it hurt so bad. And hip surgery is no joke. So, no. I don't know. I kind of hope he red shirts, personally, and just kind of roll it over to next year. This is a mostly young team. Everyone should be coming back the guys who are graduating are mostly all role players anyway. So.
1: Well, when you so, say mostly everyone ought to be back next year, though, I wonder if, I mean, the, the guy on Iowa's team that impressed me most last year was Wieskamp. I don't know if it's Wieskamp yeah. or Wieskamp, yeah. but. Um...
0: He's um, one of the best recruits ever at Iowa, I think. And like, it's kind of under the radar, but because he was always, I mean, he, Committed to Iowa when he was a freshman in high school, uh, sophomore in high school, something like that. And but he's a top thirty recruit ish in the country. He is, yeah, he's he's the real
1: deal. You mentioned underrated, and that's a good term for it because I, I think I was aware that he was coming in and was likely to play right away, but I really don't remember there being a whole lot of hype for him. But he was about everything you can expect for uh, from a freshman dip his toe in the nba water the way that a lot of players do now but ultimately came back which is probably the right choice i mean this year especially with tyler cook gone i have to think he's probably option another number one or one a depending on what you think of luka garza at least offensively um but you know beyond those two guys especially if uh if bohannon's not able to play this team needs a lot more from the mccaffrey brothers correct
0: yeah, connor has got to find an offensive game. He's pretty all right defensively. I mean, again, relatively speaking, for frames teams, that is a low bar. He puts <laughs> all of the pressure for, on the defense on the players. Like, you've had decent uh, defensive teams in the past, but that was all because of the players. I don't like he doesn't do a lot of – there's not a lot of defensive coaching uh, going on there. I think he's even admitted that. Um, so he puts the onus on the defense on the players, and so a lot of these guys are offensive first. They're all offensive first. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, – oh, geez. About lost my train of thought there. Uh, Luka should be – yeah, he'll be man in the middle. His low post game, his offensive game is great. His defensive game is – man, he cannot – move his feet worth uh damn it's bad it's really bad but so it goes um but connor's offensive game is kind of the opposite he's the one guy that he shot like i think 20 percent from three last year there was one like he was just like xavier simpson worse than xavier simpson i'll put it that way
1: which is tough to do um, yes <laughs> i mean yeah. it-, it was bad yeah, so I, I um, wonder if if there are still shooting limitations there, especially if Bohannon's able to play. Do you see more two-point guard sets with Toussaint and Bohannon? Um, tell, I mean, that's the other recruit coming in for Iowa this year is the um, three-star Joe Toussaint. I, I think New York. Yep. Um, and so I, I don't know if you've d- dove any deeper into him and what you might expect to see out of him. but uh, Well,
0: I think the word on him is he's more of a... Uh Oh, you small guy getting into the paint, driving dish. Capable outside shooter but not like that's not his game. He's more of a driving dish slash and he'll from what I've gathered, he's a uh, he'll shoot it from the outside when given the opportunity, but that's not his that's what, not where he's looking for first. So Okay. Uh, the, yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, here we're a couple of weeks away from the season. Um, again, I, I do think Bohannon is obviously the biggest X factor for Iowa, whether he plays or not. I think with Weisskamp and Garza, you've certainly got an offensive battery that's going to be capable of outscoring plenty of teams. But if Bohannon's not able to play, I wonder what the backcourt depth ends up looking like. So we'll take a, a quick run through the schedule and You'll be tested pretty early. That Las Vegas Invitational matchup with Texas Tech is... Is that the first game of the season?
0: Uh, not the first, but the second. Yeah, probably <laughs> yeah, would have opened so right away...
1: call up the schedule before we started, but oh well. Um, so yeah, it, it's a, a Texas Tech team that certainly will lose some things from last year, but um, you know the way Chris Beard is turning new stars out of that roster every year. Now, you can probably expect them to be pretty good. Maybe not quite as good as they were last year, but certainly a front-runner oh. to challenge Kansas in the Big 12 again.
0: Yeah, and the way that Texas Tech plays that smothering defense is going to absolutely strangle Iowa early in the season. It's it's actually their sixth game of the season, but it's their first real test.
1: I see. So oh, yeah, and, and of- I can verify that Texas Tech defense is no fun at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um,
0: well... Uh, I mean, I was had a couple of these matchups, like uh, a couple of years ago, they played uh, Virginia early in the season and they did not break 40 points and it was <laughs> excruciating and awful. And I don't. Oh, man, just.
1: Well, and, and then not too, to not, play that
0: style again,
1: not too long after that, then you get a trip to Syracuse in the Big Ten ACC challenge. So that'll yeah, be a right. that's kind the of
0: fun. very next game
1: yeah and it again, that the bloom has certainly come off of Syracuse a little bit from what they were a few years ago, but that zone is still not any fun to play. Um, we have also what I am I'm gonna refer to consistently as the first two, meaning you know, the big Ten going to this extended conference schedule I now. there's a this. couple of random couple of random conference games in the middle of December. Iowa's first two are at Michigan and then a home game against Minnesota. Now, I don't think Michigan is going to be right at the top of the table, but they've got enough leftover talent from line that you can expect that to be pretty tough. So that's a little harder than it could be. Um, a couple of other non-conference tilts, of course, the game with Iowa State and a rematch with Cincinnati, and, interestingly enough, a, uh, a an opponent from the tournament last year. Um, looking elsewhere... I'm
0: sorry relatively uh, late too, that Cincinnati tilt. So yeah,
1: it, it had the feel of kind of like a cancellation fill-in or something, um, which is
0: weird for a high-profile game like th- a higher-profile game like that. Yeah. yeah, this is this is easily Iowa's toughest non-con schedule under Fran, which again, low bar, but <laughs> with a team this inexperienced, losing four of the best top six players probably for the entire non-con. Bohannon might be back, but almost certainly not before January. So, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, you know, that's
0: going to be that's going to be rough.
1: Looking at the conference schedule overall, I think it's what I would call it relatively favorable. The single plays here: you've got Michigan State, Ohio State, Indiana, Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Rutgers. Um, Now, I think Ohio State's going to be at least a top four, if not top three team in the conference. Michigan State's the consensus favorite, so single plays with a couple of the more powerful teams in the league. Indiana and Wisconsin, I think, will be middle of the pack. Rutgers and Northwestern are right towards the bottom, so it probably balances out pretty well. Um, Well, actually, I mean, maybe I'm selling Rutgers a bit short there. I think, actually, I have these listed in approximate order of where I think they'll finish. I, I drop Rutgers in the middle, too, so... Um Northwestern as a single play is a bit of a drag because that's two free wins if you get them twice. But single plays with Michigan State and Ohio State, not too, too bad. Um, so to wrap up the segment for Iowa then, I guess I'll pitch it back to you. What do you think is your best-case scenario? What is your worst-case scenario? And what do you actually anticipate?
0: So best-case scenario, things gel. Bohannon gets back by... Oh, let's say mid December, enough to play a couple of those um, big, uh, big Audenon Con and get some RPI boost. Uh, Gel teams gel together. Tucson is a good uh, point guard. Gels uh, with the rest of the team and shooting comes through top six in the conference. uh, And probably, let's say, uh, seven seed or six seed. I think that's the absolute best case. I don't think there's anything higher than that that I I would could do. A worst case, man. Remember a couple of years ago, can't play defense, save their lives. Bohaner never makes it back. Uh, no shooting, uh, surrounding Luca, and just they get strangled every game, get run out of the building, and they. Uh, limp to a bottom three finish in the conference.
1: If that kind of scenario plays out, what kind of hot seat pressure is there on Frank? That's kind of the other thing I have a hard time getting a gauge on. You know, programs that I don't interact with a whole lot is where exactly a fan base is respective to their coach. I mean, it, it as you kind of mentioned, it felt like the strong finish in the tournament bought him a lot of goodwill back. But if things should fall apart, which You know, if Bohannon doesn't play, they easily could. Any real pressure on Fran for keeping his job even through this year?
0: So this year, I think he's safe. The tournament win and the tournament appearance last year, along with his Barta-given contract and Barta not going anywhere anytime soon. That would be the X Factor, wouldn't
1: it? Yes.
0: I I just don't see any way he could go anywhere this year, no matter what. Uh, next, if he were to have another bottom three finish, that would be two and three years. Uh, the pressure would definitely be on after next year. Uh, he's not—he's making his contracts buyoutable after next year, and he's not like a top. Yeah, you know, he's—I think he's making top third, top uh, or so in the conference, but he's also been around for a long time, so that's kind of to be expected at this point. And uh yeah. And part of it also kind of depends on recruiting. There is a five star, four star, five star center here in Iowa that uh has kind of down between Iowa, Iowa State and one or two other outs uh and Baylor, I think.
1: And uh so maybe a different. Woodbury type that could usher in another sort of, you know, cresting era as opposed to yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Huh. And so if he can land, them that 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 would buy him some goodwill. If he doesn't, and there's a bad finish, like there's it's going to be a, little, a lot of ill will ne- going into next year.
1: But like, yeah. You know, I you know, I'd point this out with no particular animosity to either party involved, but I have sort of a sinking feeling on your behalf that DJ Carton is going to be one that got away. I guess we'll see. Oh,
0: yeah. But um... oh yeah, like. <laughs> Again, and it's one of those, he he kind of blew up. He was really good, but he was like, oh, he's a good recruit. He's a good recruit, kind of on the radar locally. Oh, yeah, four-star guy, yes. Let's, like, And Fran was been on him early. And then, like, I think his senior year, he just, the summer before his senior year, blew up, became legit five-star, and was getting calls from all over the country. So I think he was also a guy that just wanted to get out of the state. Yeah, that but, happens
1: and but, when it does what are you going to do really
0: yeah at the same time it sucks and <laughs> Iowa is want for another a true good point guard and he's right there and in state and that one's gonna hurt so yeah that was a that was a big loss
1: Well, speaking of big losses, we'll transition now to Nebraska. And I mentioned big losses, of course, because everyone's favorite accountant coach, Tim Miles, was shown the door after a monumentally disappointing season last year. Uh, A team that preseason, some sources that I recall, had them picked in the top five, top six of the conference. Uh, They really had a lot of pieces in place that it, it should have been a tournament team for sure, but they finished near the bottom of the table, um, They had plenty of injuries. There's no doubt about that. But obviously the expectations at Nebraska ball have increased a little bit. They've got that gorgeous new arena, a lot of fan interest, even with the results being kind of up and down. So the athletic department you know, decided they had the shot at kind of a hometown hometown product, a guy with a proven track record who happened to be out of a job, who I, I think spent last year just kind of hanging out in East Lansing because the Suns will walk on for Michigan State. Uh, so now the Fred Ho- Hoiberg home for wayward players is establishing its new premises in Lincoln.
0: I was going to say, how many players did they have coming back this year? Two?
1: <laughs> Depen- yeah, depends on whether you count the guy who sat as a transfer last year. Um, that would be, I don't know if it's Daychon or Dakin Burke. I'm not sure how to say that name, but he sat as a transfer. The only guy on the roster who actually played for Nebraska last year was Thorier Thor He <laughs> uh, I forget if he's he's Norwegian or Icelandic or what it's, he's certainly Scandinavian as hell. Um, And I don't think like he's a decent enough player, but he wouldn't have been on the floor if they hadn't. I mean, the last couple games of the season, they're down to like six or seven players, which is why he got in the game. Um, I don't know how much he ends up playing for them this year. I was frankly a little surprised that he stayed because with the amount of new guys Hoiberg is bringing in, I don't think he's really part of their plans um that however is not to say that this is a roster without experience because the roster building model that he is importing here does involve bringing in your your disaffected high major players your cast offs guys who have had one or two other stops before Um, and it's no different here you have Derek walker from tennessee um, Hanif Cheatham, who most recently was at Florida Gulf Coast, but previously was at Marquette, and you, you'll have a thought about that in a second. But then also Shamil Stevenson, um, pit product by way of Nevada. So, he's right back to his old ways, which is obviously kind of what you expect. I mean, this is how he succeeded at Iowa State.
0: Right. I mean, and it's not as if he's a bad recruiter, either. He did pick up some good, like, high school recruits while he was at Iowa State. But Man, all of his, his his entire rosters are filled out with uh, cast-offs and nobody else wanted for typically good reasons. A lot of uh, run-ins with the law and campus police. Uh, uh, but I guess that's Nebraska's problem to deal with now.
1: It is. Uh, and I, I don't but, think, I mean, uh, the track record is certainly long enough. I don't think they're going to be able to say that they didn't go in eyes wide open, you know?
0: Yeah. At the same time, yeah. I guess uh, these guys need basketball the way that some people need uh, some some other other sports need theirs. Uh, some other players from other sports need theirs. Uh, I guess when you're Maurice Washingtons are uh, playing football for a year, the guy stealing a laptop's probably not that big of a deal.
1: <laughs> right. It's all a matter of perspective, I suppose, and what you're willing to look the other way for. Um, so, again, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to meaningfully transcribe anything from last year's season onto this year, because, again, it, it, there's none of the same players in place. It's a new coach. Um, there's That's not a, really a whole it, it's impossible yeah. to say how these guys are going to gel together. Um, Hoyberg knows how to make this kind of thing work. That's about the only thing they've got going for him. But uh, a roster a turnover this comprehensive is just a lot. Um, what I'm
0: excited to see is uh, Hoiberg's style in the Big Ten. Because, I mean, it's very Big 12. It's very NBA. It's Yeah, uh, he does
1: play a more up-and-down style, like, actually, objectively, not just relative to everybody else. So um, it'll be interesting to see... If that contrasting style gets him a little bit of a, you know, Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson football effect where just the difficulty of playing for him gives them an advantage sometimes. Uh, and hey, these first couple of years until he gets his process established and has a little bit of carryover, they're going to need every advantage they can get. Most publications pick them to finish right near the bottom of the conference. I suppose, I look, that. if you look at the upside on their roster on paper, I could see them forcing their way a bit higher than that but I think it's going to depend more on what the other teams in their echelon do than on them honestly
0: yeah I think they've got a, a decent bit of talent but I think that uh, Hoiberg is a, like say what you will about some of his shadiness he's a really good coach oh yeah Like, and I, they, they don't have terrible players they're not yeah. Northwestern rolling out guys who were playing lacrosse last year yeah my god uh, um so uh phil i i would i would be surprised if they they were playing on wednesday this year i'll put it that way
1: oh yeah yeah this is not a team that's likely to be hovering around either of those little red bars when they bring up the standings um for purposes of buys in the big 10 tournament um well i had something else i was going to point out and i just don't remember what it was i guess we'll just take a quick look at the schedule then um Early on, they've got the favorable. Cayman Islands Classic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Washington State's the only other team of note in that tournament. Um, Their um, ACC challenge team is Georgia Tech.
0: I mean, you're talking a Wazoo team who hovers typically around the 200s. One of the worst Pack Five or Power Five teams in the country. Yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> and it, I forget. I'll hold on. I'll find the field that has. I've got a list of all the uh, tournaments here. Speaking of which, when I was doing a little bit of last-second research, I cannot believe the proliferation of these tournaments. That So I used to think there was a lot of basketball played in these tournaments the first couple weeks because, you know, they do the 24-hour marathon thing, which is great fun. Uh, boy, the stuff that they actually broadcast is the tip of the iceberg <laughs> in terms of these beginning-of-the-season tournaments. I, probably two-thirds of uh, of Division I teams are in these goofy tournaments. So I'm talking as I continue to scroll and look for the rest of the field in this tournament. Nebraska is playing in because I know it was a bunch of duds, man. Um, it was definitely them and Washington State as the two who stood out the most.
0: Oof, that one's rough.
1: Well, and the flip side of that, when we get to Michigan in a minute, um, the battle for last field is absolutely jacked this year. But we'll get to that, that when one's... we get to it.
0: Yeah, that that's a relatively new one that started and they, they pulled in big guys quick.
1: Where the hell is this Nebraska tournament? Okay, here we go. So we've got New Mexico State, Old Dominion, South Florida, George Mason, Colorado State, uh, and Loyola, Chicago. So that's that, you know, is certainly that's a name people recognize. <laughs> yeah. Uh but man, that's that's all there is. And so there will be an opportunity for them for them to win some games there. Uh, again, Georgia Tech has fallen on hard times. To put it gently, uh, boy, there's there's not a whole lot to like. They, they do have the trip to Creighton. Um, not our, not your fellow Iowa fan, but you know the the actual basketball school in the state. They start up their conference matchups. The first two road trip to Indiana, and then they host Purdue. Single plays are pretty favorable, as as we were discussing before we started recording here. Purdue, Michigan State, Maryland, probably the consensus top three, or at least three of the top four in the conference, as well as Penn State, Minnesota, Illinois. So they get double plays against Northwestern um, and most of the other teams that people would pick to be towards the bottom of the bracket. We can speculate a little bit here. Again, I this is probably the most mysterious team in the conference just because we don't know what any of these players look like together. Um, I think the best-case scenario here is probably going to be an NIT appearance. It would have a much different feel this year than last year where the NIT was a horrible disappointment. you see any way for them to go beyond that? I mean, is, is there any route for this team to get an NCAA bid?
0: I suppose it's possible, but their RPI is going to be lacking. Um they just don't have n- enough a non-conference to, to get any good wins. They don't and they don't have they're not gonna beat Michigan State twice. <laughs> well,
1: right. They're, that's that's they're the won. flip side. Yeah. That's the flip side of the easier conference schedule, is they don't get a lot of opportunities for the kind of high-value wins that'll really boost them. They're gonna have to, I mean, they have to take advantage of two games against Michigan, against Wisconsin. Um, against that tier of big 10 teams, they're going to have to rack up several because I think at least early, we can probably expect them to take a number of losses. Um, I mean, if you if you want to talk worst case scenario again, this is not a team that has very high expectations. So even if they end up being, you know, a 13 or 14 win team, which is entirely in play for them, I don't think anybody's really going to give them too much criticism for it. I mean, if it, if the product looks hideous, if like the style doesn't translate with these players, and there's I indications that it's just out. not working at all, then I guess maybe people get a little anxious. But, you know, if, if nothing else, you can always look forward to year three of Scott Frost if you get too far in the season and things aren't going well, right?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, worst case scenario, I mean, they're probably going to be fun to play, uh, watch. And for some reason, Nebraska's fans love going to basketball games, and they get good crowds. And so they're like... Tim Miles did not play a very aesthetically pleasing style. Uh, oh style. God!
1: <laughs> even, when they had, yeah, even when they had ball players ball. like Terrence Petaway, they were they were clunky to watch.
0: Yeah, uh, like they played pretty good defense. Their offense was typically give it to whoever was the ball hog of that year <laughs> and his <laughs> right. way. Yeah. Um, but Hoiberg's teams are fun to watch. I'll give them that. Like they're going to have a, a fun good home court advantage and they'll I'll get up and down the court and be probably one of the better teams to more entertaining teams to watch them uh play like
1: yeah and, you know the other thing is basketball is different than football that way where over it's a longer season it's hard to consistently get up the road trips are tougher so i mean last year michigan state got swept by Indiana, lost their matchup with Illinois. Um, Weird things happen in basketball. They're probably going to give their fans a couple of moments to hang on to, to give them enough reason for optimism. And beyond that, the rest of it is really icing on the cake he's going to spend this year baking. I mean, there's not much reason to expect a whole lot from Nebraska this year.
0: No, I would think that they would make the, at least some postseason tournament and have fun doing it. So I think that's probably worst case scenario.
1: All right. So we'll conclude tonight then by pivoting to a program of probably going to be a little bit higher in the standings. We'll discuss the Michigan Wolverines and your favorite team Yeah, you know. I mean, we we'll talk about it anyway. Lastly, Michigan basketball the last few years has been really hard to hate. Um, John Beeline had a program that was very easy to respect, consistently develop players into being more than their recruiting profiles said they would be. Um, comparable in a lot of ways to what Mark Antonio was for Michigan State football, um, a second wow. banana program in his own state, but ended up kind of flipping the script on that to an extent.
0: It's kind of odd. It's, it's a team that you kind of hated the players or a couple of hated uh, hated a few guys on the players but had to respect the coach.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. They had I mean Nick Staskis was very punchable despite oh. being Canadian. Um Mo Wagner had a little bit because. of a cockiness to him. All these foreigners they're bringing in. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah they they usually had a guy like that and I mean honestly this <laughs> Looking at last season, it, it's kind of a maybe the best commentary you can give on what Beeline made was to say that last season was a little bit of a disappointment. Even though they start 17-0 and overall, they end up going 15-5 and in a very tough Big Ten. They make it to the Sweet 16, but it had to be considered something of a mild disappointment just because they're not hanging anything in the rafters. You know, they'd had a great run of success in the Big Ten tournament. They'd made deeper tournament runs. Um I think they had at least one regular season title in there the last few years as well. Uh, and it, so I have to be honest, it, I don't know if the reaction I've seen from certain Michigan affiliated figures in the media is at all representative of what their fans think. But this what sentiment Michigan, I've heard expressed that like, okay, now we can get back to Michigan basketball being what it's supposed to be. I'm like, y'all forget how good you were the last few years. I mean, it, it's, it's, well, baffling. I mean,
0: if you take Jalen Roses as gospel, I think he's really the only high-profile Michigan basketball fan there is. I mean, come on, Michigan basketball fans. Where are they? Um, but uh, uh, I think they'll... Uh, I'm going to give uh, Howard some credit. He's been in the NBA for forever. He's probably learned like Spul. He was a Law uh spent a lot of time with Spolstra, who is a pretty damn good coach. Yeah. I think he'll be able to smooth like if he's not gonna run the clunkiness will be in the transition of the systems. Right. I and don't know what the hell they're gonna run.
1: Yeah, there's there's no indication of that. This if you wanna say he's gonna run a system like what the Miami Heat run, I I guess you can try that, but He's got to, it's going to be important for me to keep in mind what he's look so far. All the stuff off the court, he seems to be nailing pretty well. Everyone seems to agree he's a pretty good brand ambassador. Um, recruiting hasn't been a clean sweep, but he did convince Mo Wagner's little brother to come over for at least a year. Um, although he apparently is going to be injured, so I'm not sure how long he's going to be out, but landed Franz Wagner, and then also for next year's class grabbed a five-star in Isaiah Todd out of Baltimore, who Maryland was going after. So um, he's come in and had kind of the impact in recruiting that Jalen Rose and others expected that he would. We'll see how sustainable that is if the results don't come out on the court because this is a roster that's going to have some interesting limitations this year. Um, They had serious offensive problems last year, and Two at least two of their three best offensive players, maybe all three, depending on what you think of Charles Matthews are gone now, because he, Jordan Poole, and Iggy Brazdikas all gone to the league. So and, and again, that's off of a team that was probably B line's weakest offensive team of the last five to six years. Um, it's it's gonna be interesting to see what Juwan Howard does with this roster because it's a very different group of guys than the last couple of B line teams.
0: Well, with a guy like xavier simpson who can't really shoot but can really push it and get in the lane and do that sort of thing i kind of hope they kind of go the opposite of what the v-line was doing and start doing some nba type of running up and down and let's push the big 10 out of its comfort zone
1: so yeah there there know. were some indications you know in stretches last year that john Teske could be a decent guy in a pick and roll based system um you know, Michigan fans became very excited when he had one game where he hit a couple of threes like, oh man, is he going to do it? Is he going to be this transcendent? No, that, that never ended up panning out, but that's fine. I mean, he's a seven footer in the college game. If you can finish at the rim as a seven footer, you can be a very useful player. Uh, and they've got, the, again, they've got that senior combo in Simpson and Teske. They had a highly efficient bench contributor in Isaiah Livers last year, who is certainly going to step into a starting role. They would expect a lot more from him. But really, the success of this season is going to depend on basically two things. I mean, first of all, how healthy, how soon does Franz Wagner get healthy? And then do they get a big step forward from last year's freshman class? That's the guys who were left. Whereas Dikas is gone. But without him, there's still a three-man group that could be pretty darn impactful. I mean, it was, it was, I think, like a top 15 or so recruiting class. And they still have Brandon Johns, Colin Castleton, and David DeJulius. They're going to need big steps out of all those guys because they've got three definite contributors. I think Wagner should be a fourth, and then you got to play five <laughs> you got to have bench guys. So they're going to need those three guys to take big steps forward. Um, I think
0: that's another big question transitioning from Beeline to Howard. Is Beeline was a college coach who prided himself on development.
1: Right. I mean, he's a pretty
0: good recruiter, but like those guys developed pretty damn well under him. Is Howard going to be the opposite? Is he going to just recruit guys and hope that they're as good as they're going to be? and
1: Do the Roy Williams roll the balls out approach? Um, It'll be interesting to see. I know there was some optimistic observation that um, under Howard's tutelage, Hassan Whiteside went from a physically gifted guy who couldn't play basketball to a physically gifted guy who could play basketball. So, uh, if you, if you are a Michigan fan and you want to look at the glass as full as possible, that would be a data point that you'd want to take a close look at. Um, time will tell. And to kind of put a bow on this conversation about the Howard hire altogether, I get that they were in a very awkward position. Uh, but the way that their coaching search went down, I just like the only other guy they really apparently gave serious thought to was Ed Cooley who had the one period where Chris Dunn was on his roster. And then other than that, I didn't know what they saw in him. Um, Yeah, I mean, there may not have been better options out there, but you don't want to make some calls, like maybe, I don't know, Billy Donovan's disillusioned with the NBA or something. I'm not saying he would have come, but from a publicly available information, it just seemed like this was a one-man search from the beginning. And given that he has no head coaching experience, it just felt, I don't know, a little... It, it, it like it it overlooks the position that Michigan basketball was actually in, which is this is the top 15, top 20 at worst job in college basketball right now because of the work Beeline did. And they are turning it over to a guy with no experience. Now, all signs so far are positive, but it is still a pretty big risk. So that's about all there is to say about that. And we'll move into what this season could be. Pretty decent schedule. They have non-conference matchups with Creighton, they have their point. As we mentioned earlier, this battle for Atlantis tournament they're playing in is banging. It's um, it's yeah. Yeah. So that, that matchup could, I think their first matchup is with Iowa state in that tournament, but the rest of the field includes Oregon, Alabama, Gonzaga, Seton hall and North Carolina. So if they advance mm. essentially, regardless of how the field falls around them, they're going to have excellent resume opportunities. Um, I think looking guaranteed to play at least three of those teams, yes, because there are there's a consolation bracket, yeah, so I think the only the only team where I looked at the field and I was like, what are you doing here is southern miss um who okay. i I couldn't tell you what they're gonna be this year, but it's certainly not a name that sticks out to you as belonging in this kind of field. I mean, I guess you can't if you're a tournament organizer, you feel pretty good about the group you have even if you have to take southern miss um, but yeah, that's gonna be a heck of a field you're Probably going to want to circle that tournament uh, and put it towards the top of your viewing list here in the early going.
0: CBS Sports Network, I believe, carries battle for Atlantis. Iowa played in a few years ago, so yeah, get on that. That'll be a good one.
1: Should be. Um, First two matchups are home matchup with your Iowa Hawkeyes and then a trip to Illinois. The single plays, again, a little bit of a mixed bag. Indiana, Penn State, Minnesota, Northwestern, Maryland, and Wisconsin. So a fair number of teams that would drop, would fall into the middle. Northwestern, we expect to be at the bottom, Maryland towards the top. But Indiana, Penn State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, those are teams I would expect to be probably in the single-buy range this year. So not really much to say one way or another about the conference schedule. Um, predicting this team is tough because again, it's not totally clear what Howard's going to be running. Um, He's got some pieces to work with, but some pieces that are flawed. So to me, obviously if the pieces that with the pieces that he's got, if they don't make the tournament, I think that's gotta be viewed as a pretty big disappointment.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. This is definitely a tournament team. Like despite a shooting, uh, woes Xavier Simpson's still a hell of a player. Tuskegee is yeah. a hell of a player. The, the roster itself is pretty good. This should be a tournament team.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even if he's not a developmental guru the way be- I mean, he's not going to be as good at development as B-line was. That's probably an unfair expectation. But if they get even normal freshman to sophomore progression from the three guys I mentioned uh, to support the, this core of four guys they've got and they have an impact freshman in Wagner they really should be towards the top of the single buy group, at least maybe in contention for a double buy towards the, towards the end of the season. Um,
0: probably your best case scenario is the double buy.
1: Yes. Getting yeah. The double or, buy. or even, even being in the picture for it at the very end of the year. Um, the worst case scenario, I guess is that maybe Howard's system, whatever it is, doesn't fit with the players he's got. Um, maybe he gets a couple of defections to transfer if his recruiting tendencies indicate that he's bringing in a lot of his guys to do his things. So you have a little bit more roster churn than you might expect than Michigan has had. Cause that's the other thing under B-line is guys really didn't leave. Um, you could see a worst case scenario where there's, they kind of slide out of the conferences, top half, probably not long-term. I mean, there's still a lot of good infrastructure in place there, but if things don't gel right away, the good vibes could dissipate pretty quickly. And uh, you, you might see a little bit of contagion from what's going on with the football program right now um, and sort of yeah. you know, things could that, things that could go downhill, go down. really. I mean, if things if there are a lot of these indications, maybe a little more scrutiny gets turned on. Man, we didn't really look for, at anybody else before we brought this guy in. And now it kind of seems like, He's not working with the team he's got. I, again, we're spitballing here, but that's certainly a possibility.
0: Well, who's the uh, St. Saint, uh, Saint Joe's? Uh, not,
1: uh... Martelli. Phil Martelli, I think his first name is. Phil or Joe, it's, yeah, a name like yeah. that. But, yeah, he does have a veteran on staff to help him adjust to the college game. There's something to be said there, and I, it's my turn to forget. I, I know he kept one of... Uh, Beeline's assistants, but not the guy, not Stop Luke. The defensive
0: guy. Yeah, yeah, which
1: the defensive wizard that everybody has so much respect for did not stay. I forget where he went, but he's not I on this. I think his, he went to snap. Maryland. Did he? Well, shoot.
0: no, no, he went to I think he went to Texas under Shock Smart.
1: That was the the, other, that was uh, gonna be my first guess. I thought uh, the name Texas came to mind, but you know,
0: another one of the uh, uh, I think another one of Beeline's assistants ended up at Maryland. But the big defensive guru, I think, ended up at Texas.
1: Which is fine. I, I don't, we don't need to give Wack, Luke Yakwich access to Maryland's physical talent because, um, you know, then they might actually play up to their capability. Well, okay. <laughs> That's going to conclude tonight's episode of the Charging Blockcast. Stu, any final thoughts?
0: Uh, go
1: Hawks. Fuck Wisconsin.
0: Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle. Empire!